this. I hope the uh, Karens of prayer, as we've been looking at, at, at this over the weeks, that some of them have been of benefit to you. Um, you know, I, I hope they guide you both uh, to expand and maybe to focus your prayers. Uh, you know, maybe it'll open up some areas that you've not thought about praying about before. Maybe some, uh, you know, some uh, other other things. The uh, passages we've been looking at so far have been from letters to the churches. I told you that you know, as we're looking at different prayers, I'm kind of focused in on. Uh, some of the new. Te- I'm not looking at like the prayers of Mary and you know and uh, David's prayer. I was just reading that this week. I'm not looking at those. We're looking more at uh, some of the almost spontaneous type prayers that came up, that come up in the New Testament, mainly in in the epistles in the in the letters there. Um, you know and we, 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 you know today and maybe the next couple of weeks uh, we're going to look at. At passages that are motivated by more personal letters. The letters we've been looking at so far have been like to the churches, uh, <clears throat> the Thessalonians, Colossians, and for the next couple of weeks, uh, I'm going to look at Paul's letters to Timothy, First uh, and Second Timothy, uh, and, and Paul or Timothy came to know Christ through Paul's ministry, as uh, Paul, you know, mentored him. Then they they grew very close. Uh, their relationship grew to the point where uh, Paul counted Timothy really kind of as a son. To As he was writing to the Corinthians, he wrote, This is why I have sent Timothy to you. He is my dearly loved and faithful son. They had a very close relationship. He's my, he is my dearly loved and faithful son in the Lord. And he knows me so well, he says, you know, that he will remind you about my ways in Christ Jesus, just as I teach everywhere in every church, they had a close relationship. They had one where they knew each other, and they knew each other's hearts really, and they knew uh, they were well invested in each other. The passages we're going to look at in First and Second Timothy uh, this week, and uh, maybe the next couple of weeks, are really heartfelt communications from Paul to someone he knew personally, and to someone he cared very deeply about. Well, let's pray, and then we'll look at our passage for today. Father, thank you for those who care about us, those who love us, those who have invested and continue to invest in our lives, those who have helped us not only come to know you, but to grow in you, those who have come alongside and helped us in the times in which we've struggled, who have rejoiced with us when we rejoice, and who have wept with us when we weep. And Father, those who um, it matters to them how we are. Thank you for putting those types of people in our lives. As we look at uh, <clears throat> that relationship, well, not that relationship, but as we see the effects of that relationship between Paul and Timothy, we pray that you would teach us from your word, that we would grasp a hold of not just what went on for them, but what you want to go on for us. So open our eyes, open our hearts, that we, Father, will see you and see more clearly Uh, what you have before us in our lives, we pray. With thanks, in Christ's name, amen. We're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 1. If you want to turn there, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses uh, 12 through 17 are are what we're looking at, page 1090 if you're using the Pew Bible. Uh, Now, if you look back up at verse 2 there in in 1 Timothy 1, if you look up at verse 2, you'll see Paul's love 
and concern for Timothy shows up there as well in verse 2. He says, to Timothy, my true son in the faith. You know, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He, you know, he begins right there and then he tells Timothy, uh, those verses that follow, he tells Timothy he sent him to Ephesus, a place where Paul invested a couple of years. He did that to stand against false teachers who wanted to hold up a couple of different things. One is uh, holding up family lineage. And he's telling them, you know, it's not because of the family that you came through. It's not simply because your kids aren't saved because you are. Your kids don't have a relationship with Christ because you do. You see, this isn't a church thing. This isn't, you know, this isn't a heritage thing where we pass this on. You want your child to know about Jesus Christ? You want your child to know about life in Christ? You need to tell them. You need to instruct them. You need to share that with them. So when he says... You know, my true son in the faith, what he's, what he's talking about there is that, 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 that relationship has had an effect to where he has this personal relationship. And he's telling them then that it is not family lineage that's going to make a difference. It's not because, and again, remember, I was going to say it's not because they were, they were Jews, but, but, but remember who they're writing to. They're writing to people who, many of whom were Jews, and as they're coming up, they found the Messiah then, you see. And because they found the Messiah and they were sharing that, that's what Paul did in Ephesus for two years, you know, and he shared with them the, the reality there. And they, you know, many of them still considered themselves Jewish. And he was telling them, it's not because you're Jewish. It's not because of any lineage at all. And he also goes on and tells them there too, it's not because of obedience to the law. He's not saying obedience to the law wasn't important. What he's saying is obedience to the law wasn't necessary for someone to have a relationship with Christ. You see, they didn't have to obey all of the little things of the law. They could still have that relationship with, you know, with Christ and with the Messiah. And this is what he's telling them there. You know, and he says that you know, these things, the, the family lineage, obedience to the law, he says that's contrary to the sound teaching of the gospel, the death, the resurrection, the burial. You know, the, well, that would be a di- different order. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You know, and th- that, that you know, those things were the only means for salvation. It isn't family lineage. It isn't obedience to the law. It is simply and strictly the, the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And at the end of verse 11, he says that, you know, this glorious gospel of the blessed God was entrusted to him. And that, now those thoughts prompt what we see here, beginning in verse 12. You see, all of that, what he told him, that relationship with Timothy... The fact that you know Timothy needed to be able to stand against others that it's and, and let them know that it's not a family lineage thing needed to stand and tell them it's not it's not a works thing you know according to the law you don't check a few boxes you know yes I did this I did this I did this and now I'm a Christian that's not what it is he's saying it's that the importance of the gospel and knowing and embracing that death burial and resurrection of Christ and you know he says that glorious gospel that was entrusted to him and then that 
prompts what we see here, beginning in verse 12. Follow along. It says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, one who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserves full and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, when you look at this and you think about, you know, and we're thinking about prayer and, and, and praying and, and what can help us there, uh, here's what, when, when you pray, start by giving thanks. Start by giving thanks. Paul says here, I give thanks. I give thanks to Christ Jesus. It's always a good way to start a prayer. It is always a good way to start a prayer, you know, with thanks. Because not trying to butter God up, you know, it's not trying to butter God up at all, thinking that, well, it'll help our prayer, you know, if we go in and we say, oh, what a good, you know. I I talked to somebody yesterday, and they wanted me to do something. But they started with a compliment, you know. They said, oh, you know, let me tell you, I I really appreciate it. And they, you know, gave me a few things, and they said, now I'm wondering, could you? you know, that's, not, that's not the thing here. It's not buttering, you know, we're not buttering God up, you know, greasing the skids so that things will go well. You know, it's actually remembering and thanking God for his work in our life. And what that does is it changes your focus. You begin to focus on God and who he is and all that he has done. And we begin to see a little bit more than who it is. Where it clears things up for us a bit. You know, to start and to begin with thanks there. It helps us to put our focus on God and his graciousness. And to see him more clearly. You know, sometimes we're so focused on what we want that we forget or we overlook who it is we're addressing. Because we're focused on the what this is this is the you know, this is what we and we forget who it is we're talking to. You know, we, we completely overlook the fact that we're ta- that we, we have the privilege honor of talking to the God of the universe. You know, and, and we we overlook that and we just get focused on. And here's what I'd like you to do. Now we may not say it that way, but sometimes we do. You know, and it's, you know, now notice, you know, as Paul is doing this, he doesn't take any credit for the change in his life. He attributes that change to God's strength. He says, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who has strengthened me. You know, he attributes it to God's strength. And then, you know, even to God's opinion, notice what he says. He considered me faithful. One of the things I really want in life is that God would consider me faithful. That the one who knows my motivation for doing things would find me faithful. 
that the one who knows my thoughts, those ones that I don't want anyone else to know, those ones that I try to keep hidden, that the one who knows my innermost thoughts, that he would find me faithful. We, you know, we often, when we, you know, sometimes, at, often at, at um, funerals and things, you know, we, we bring up a, uh, the verses from Matthew 25, um, the, the parable of the, where Jesus gives different amounts of, of wealth uh, to some of his servants. Well, Jesus, I said, where Jesus tells a parable about a master who gave different amounts of wealth to his, uh, to his servants. And, you know, they brought back, you know, different. He gave one five, he gave one three, he gave one one. And the five came back with five more, and the three came back with three more. And the one that's, well, it's a little different response for him. But in Matthew 25, verse 21, it says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful. This is what we want to hear. You were faithful. I want, I want God to be able to find me faithful to him. You know, this is what, this is what, what Paul's bringing up here. You know, that's a very good evaluator for your choices. You know, your choices or maybe even what you're going to say, you know, but in your choices, you know, ask yourself, would God consider this an act of faithfulness? Would God consider this an act of faithfulness? He says here, he considered me faithful. He considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry. Now, just so we don't push this off as, you know, uh, well, that's, you know, for preachers and stuff. I, I think God appointing Paul to the ministry here is not meaning, I don't think it means a, a call to a special category uh, you know, of service that we think only some are called to and others are not called to that. I don't think that is, is all what he's talking about. Now, we sometimes think of pastors that way. I know that, well, the pastor, of course, he's holy. Look, he was called. No, no, don't, you, you, don't, you know, don't, do, don't do that because we face the same struggles you do. We face the same challenges you do. We face the same temptations you do. God warns those who teach, he says, you know, those who teach are going to be held more accountable. What Paul, I, I don't think what Paul is saying here is, is talking about that. I, I, I think, you know, look at the verses that follow. If you look at the verses that follow, I, I, I think Paul is contrasting service for Christ with his previous state of opposing Christ. I think this is what he's doing here. You know, most of the translations use the word service there, you know, appointing, appointing Paul to the, his, to the service, it says in many of the translations, you know, appointing me to his service. It's a word that means somebody who, who follows the commands of another. Uh, in this case, it would be someone who follows the commands of God, which should be, all Christians, which should be all of those who say they have a relationship with Christ, all of those who name Christ as their Savior, they should be some of these people. It's used elsewhere in this way in 1 Corinthians 12. It says there are different ministries, different service, 
but the same Lord. A little later, it says, Brothers, uh, you know the household is Despanus. They are the first fruits of Achaia and have devoted themselves to serving the saints. Uh, 2 Corinthians, he says, They begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry, in the service to the saints. You should know it's an honor to serve God. It is an honor to serve God. And here again, I'm not talking about someone who, you know, who serves as a pastor or something like that. I'm talking about every single one of us. It's an honor to serve God. You know, some look at it as a burden. Don't do that. Don't look at it as a burden. It is an honor. Some think of it as an imposition. You know, that, oh, now I can't do what I want to do, I have to do it. Don't, don't think of it as an imposition. It is an honor. Some see it only as a responsibility. But it is an honor to be able to serve God. You know, and, it, and it's an honor that God has given to every single one of his people. In Acts chapter 1, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses. You see a responsibility he's given to all of his people. You will be my witnesses. Acts chapter 13 says, For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles. For those who don't know Christ is what he's talking about. For those who don't know God, that's how they, when they're talking about Gentiles, that's what they're meaning. Those who don't know God. He says, I made you a light for those who don't yet know God, that you might bring salvations to the end, salvation to the end of the earth, that you might be able to be the one to tell them, that you might be, able to be the one to be able to share with them. You know what? I don't work with any of the people you work with. I don't live next door to your neighbors. Most of you. I've never met your grandma. No, some of you I have. Uh, but, but you see, I, here's the God has put you there as that light, you know, as that light for those who don't know Christ yet. Oh, if I could only get him to meet Pastor. Well, for what? I'd irritate him. You know, God has made you a light for those who don't yet know Christ. I won't be in the places you're at. I don't. I don't interact with the people you interact with. That's why God put you there. Well, not because I'm not there. And it almost sounded a little arrogant, didn't it? God put you there because they need to know Christ. You know, and God said, here's that. They say, well, you know, I'm not a very bright light, but you're better than none. Let's start with that. You're better than none. You know, and, and the more you know, the more you can share. Well, I don't know much. If you're a Christian, if you know Christ as your Savior, then you know enough to share right there. Right there, you know enough to be able to tell them you know, something about what God has done. He has made you a light. And in case there's any other question, you know, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, 
We are his, this is right after he says, you know, by grace you are saved through faith. It's, it's, it's not of yourself, it's a work of God that no one can boast. And then he goes on and he says, for we are his creation, created in Christ Jesus for good works. He saved us, why? For, he saved us for those things which God prepared ahead of time so that we should walk in them, so that we should do that, so that we should live that way. It is our honor, our privilege, our responsibility to represent God. That is what he's called us to. You know, and as Paul's seeing things more clearly, he, he was a bit stunned, really. He was overwhelmed. Look at what he says, you know, that he gets this opportunity uh, to serve. Because of his history, he says, you know, he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, verse 13. One who was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. Realize what you would be without a relationship to Christ Jesus. Realize what you would be. I think about that, and lately I've been thinking about it a little more, about what I would be without Christ, and where I would be, and how I would have messed up my life had he not changed my values had he had, had, if he had not touched my life, if he had not turned me around. Realize, realize what you would be without a relationship to Christ. Above all, you would be lost and condemned for eternity. You know, most important, you would be lost and condemned for eternity. We looked at this last week. You know, you would be separated from God. You know, if you were to die without a relationship with Christ Jesus, you would be eternally separated from him. Uh, you know, we looked at that last week. Uh, you know, speaking of those who continue to reject the relationship with Christ and die in that rejection. Remember the verse, you know, Second Thessalonians, he said, uh, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence. And from his glorious strength, those who die without knowing Christ will, the, 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 I think that the worst suffering of hell is this right here, that eternal separation from God. You know, I, I don't think it's you know, fire and brimstone and, and those things. I'm not saying those aren't real. I believe they are. But that's not the worst suffering. The worst suffering is what you see right there, that eternal separation from the Lord's presence. Look at how Paul describes himself there in, in, uh, to Timothy. He, said, he describes himself as a blasphemer, a persecutor, an arrogant man, all while he thought he was doing service for God. Remember, Paul was going around and he was persecuting those who knew Christ because he thought that's what, his, that what he needed to do as a good Jew. He thought that's what he needed to do, was persecute these others who, who, didn't, who, who proclaimed you know, this, this Messiah guy. And so he went around persecuting them you know, as this arrogant, blasphemy man, that he, all while he was thought he was serving the Lord. All why he thought he was, you know, he was serving God is, is, you know, when that happened. But he finishes the thought. He says, but I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. 
He saw his own shortcomings. You know, as he, as he saw his own shortcomings, he began to see his relationship with Christ more clearly. As he began to see his inadequacies, he began to see the adequacies of Christ more and more. And without the, without the mercy of God, no one would have a chance. Without God's mercy, none of us have a chance. If God did not withhold his retribution, we would all have been dead many years ago. You wouldn't even have made it to kindergarten. If God didn't extend mercy. Did you ever notice what a little liar your kids are? It's one of the first things they learn, it seems. Did you do that? No. Chocolate all all over their face. Did you eat that candy bar? No. No. What do we we learn that? You know, I got to... I got to protect me, and this guy, you know, and they're going to spank me, you know, or whatever it is. They're going to put me in a corner, you know. And so, no. If God didn't extend mercy, we'd all been toast long ago, and rightfully so, because you see, we 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 are offending his holiness we are coming against his holiness and as we talked about last week you know uh, know, holiness is is a real thing and if there is no consequence if there is no consequence for coming against god's holiness then holiness is not real if there's no consequence then holiness isn't real because if there's no consequence then holiness and unholiness are, are, are the same they have the same result you see but they don't they don't. There is a difference. You know, there is a difference. And those who offend God's holiness and want to be on their own, well, that's what the verse says, you know. Well, it's up there. I'm looking at the monitor. You know, that's what the verse says. You want to be on your own? And God says, you know, then, then that's what you're going to be on your own. He says, but I received mercy. And without it, we'd be in trouble. I received mercy. Verse 14, he says, And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Along with that faith. The mercy and grace of our Lord works to bring us to faith and experience the love that is in Christ Jesus. This is what he's saying. You know, that, that, grace, that grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, you know, that he received mercy. And that grace, because he received mercy, then that grace of the Lord overflowed, you know, along with the faith and love that are in Christ. The mercy and grace worked to bring the faith there. When you're praying, thank God for extending his mercy and grace to you that brought you to faith in him. Thank God for that. Take time to thank him. For, I love the picture here. He says, you know, that that grace, over, that grace overflowed to us. I, I mentioned, that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, you know, that overflowing. It, it, it's that, that picture of more, you know, more than can be contained. You know, that, that you have, you, you know, you have it there and, and it's more than can be contained. That it comes, you know, and, and you know, you, you get filled with it. And he says, and it's overflowing, you see, and it just keeps going. Because it's more than can be contained more than more than and he just he just keeps he just keeps and he keeps giving more and more and this is this is what he says to us that his love his love is what overflows his love he says 
it overflow, His grace and love overflow to us. We can't keep it in. It affects everything. He says, it's, it's, it, it, have that, it touches everything that's there. Because it's more than could be there. You know, it's overfilled. Filled to overflowing. More than is needed. That's the picture. That's, that, that's the word he has there. More than is needed. It's more than what is expected. It's unable to be fully contained. You know, his, his grace, his mercy, his grace, his love is more than we can contain. Have you realized this? Have you realized that in your... I don't often enough. I don't as often as I should. You know, as often as I should for, for all that he has done to us. To us. Well, yeah. And for us. He was so impacted by his unworthiness and God's response that he goes on a bit more about it. Verse 15. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them. But I received mercy for this reason. So that in me... The worst of them? Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. He says, Jesus, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Mark chapter 2. Jesus himself, he says, when Jesus heard this, he told them, those who are well don't need a doctor, but the sick do need one. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. Luke chapter 19. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to save sinners, and I don't want to hurt your feelings, but you are a sinner. You are a sinner. Don't believe the enemy's lie that you can't be saved. You know, that you've done so much, that, that you've done so many things wrong that you can't be saved. Don't believe the enemy's lies. My, my, brother, my brother believed that. My brother believed he had done some things he couldn't be forgiven for. Don't believe that lie. Don't believe the enemy's lies. Jesus came to save sinners. And you're a sinner. Now take, take just a moment. Take, you know, I don't do audience participation stuff very often, but humor me on this one. Take just a moment and tell the person next to you, you know, tell them, I'm a sinner. And so are you. I should hear murmuring. It's hard for us to admit sometimes, isn't it? 
The last part's easy. You're a sinner. Well, you are, even though you're my granddaughter and I love you. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's hard for us to admit. But you know what? Don't stop there. Also, tell the person next to you, you know, Jesus came to save sinners, and that means he came to save me. And he came to save you. Hey, see how easy it is to tell someone that Jesus came to save them? All you have to do is open your mouth and say the words. We need to tell people. We need to tell people that Jesus came to save sinners. They need to know that Jesus came to save sinners. You know, some people think they can't come to God because they have to get a few things straightened out in their life first. You know, I, I, I'll, come to, I'll come to God when, you know, I've got to get, I, I, there's this horrible thing going on in my life, and I, you know, I need to get that taken care of. And, uh, you know, I'm glad they think a lot of God, you know, don't want to come before holy God that way. Um, but, you know, people try to get better before they get saved by Christ. You know, people try to stop being a sinner before they come to Christ. To, that, that's futile. You know, that, 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 that is, that's a fool's errand. Help them to see, you know, clearly that we come to Christ Jesus for forgiveness. Jesus came to save sinners. And we, we come to him for forgiveness. We come, you know, so, so Christ Jesus can clean us up, you know, so that we can become, you know, he came to clean us up because we are sinners, we come to Christ and then you know we begin to live for him. You don't get it all in order and then come to him. You come to him and then you begin to live for him. Sometimes by big steps. Sometimes by small steps. And sometimes we crawl. But we come to him and we begin to live for him. I told you before, you know, Jenny and I have a friend who was a prostitute. And when she came to Christ, um, that was a big thing. And she stopped. You see, that was a big thing and that was a big step. But I can remember we picked her up for church one time and we're driving there. And she was telling us about someone she knew um, that she had an interaction with, and she says, and I've been praying that God will heap burning coals on his head, you know, and uh, she, that's cause she was really ticked at him. You see, as, as the, the big step was easy. Some of the smaller steps were a little difficult, you know. And sometimes we crawl because, Lord, I just can't do this. I can't do this anymore. But we come to him, you see, and he gives, brings forgiveness, and then we begin to grow in him. And Paul here saw clearly that Christ Jesus had strengthened him. He could see clearly who he was without Christ. He could see that he was a sinner. He could see that he received mercy and grace and the love of God, and he is moved to worship God in prayer. Look at verse 17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. 
Amen. Look at how he describes Jesus here. The king, he says. The king, the sovereign ruler, the only one who has the right and the power to rule. And the one to whose rule we submit to. You see, as he is king, we submit to his rule. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, he says, God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Revelation chapter 17, these will make war against the lamb, but the lamb will conquer them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Revelation 19, and he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, king of kings and Lord of lords. He saw, you know, and now to the king, the king, he says, the king eternal, eternal. He always was, always will be. I love it in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Why? Because he's God. You see, he's eternal. He was there in the beginning. He's eternal. Hebrews chapter 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's eternal. He is is the eternal God. Eternal. Immortal, he says. Immortal. Uncorrupted. Not liable to corruption in any way. You know, that he cannot cannot be tempted to sin, and he he does not sin. It is incorruptible, immortal, imperishable. And he says invisible, you know, unseen. 1 Peter He says, you love him, though you've not seen him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him. That king, you know, the king, eternal, immortal, invisible. He says, the only God. Others may claim to be God, but they're not. There is no one, there is no one above him. Deuteronomy, all the way back in the Old Testament. You were shown these things so that you would know that the Lord is God. There is no other besides him. There is no other besides him. This is written in a culture of polytheism where they believe in more than one God. They were surrounded by that. They, that the history of Israel is polytheism. If you look back in the Old Testament, Abraham is called and Abraham worshipped other gods. And he tells them very clearly, there is no other besides him. And he says, you know, he says to this God, the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, he says to this God, be honor and glory forever and ever. That honor and glory come from us. Those who recognize and give our lives to him. Those who see him and know him as our savior and our king. He began here with thanks in verse 12 and he ends with praise. You know, clearly seeing, clearly seeing Christ Jesus helps us to see ourselves more clearly, which helps us to see Christ Jesus even more clearly. Because seeing Christ 
Jesus clearly brings clarity to all of life. The more we see him, and the more we, you know, the, the more we see him, the clearer life becomes. And the clearer life becomes, the more we will see him. You see, the more that we see him, then life becomes clearer, and the clearer life becomes, then the more that we will see him. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever through us, his people, those he saved by granting us forgiveness through faith in his death on the cross for our sin. Amen.